Lord Jesus, by your cross and resurrection, that we might, by the power of the Holy Spirit, walk through the door of everlasting life and into relationship with you. Amen. St. Paul writes to us in the book of Colossians to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And my train of thought has been wandering lately, and it's caused me to think of the Easter Bunny. Uh, Santa Claus I was always great with, uh, because at least there you have the notion of getting a gift that you don't deserve, and as a child I know that if I, anybody didn't deserve gifts on Christmas, it was me, and yet there you get up in the morning, and there are the gifts. But I was remarking at the fact that as a young child, I never thought twice about a seven-foot-tall bunny breaking into my home in the middle of the night in order to hide in my closet. It never struck me as strange, and, uh, and I think that I could care less about who broke into my house so long as there was a basket on Easter morning. Indeed, this morning I got into my car at about 5.30 a.m., and there the Easter Bunny had put a new Keurig coffee machine in the passenger seat, and so the rabbit has taken to breaking into vehicles. But I realized even as a child I was willing to deal with what is a really creepy notion, knowing that there's something good that comes out of it. The whole way of thinking, even among children, got me thinking about the idea of truth in our world. Pilate, when questioning Jesus, asked him, what is truth? And it's a good question. It has been said that in the world we live in that truth is relative. You have your truth and I have my truth. Whatever floats your boat or finds your lost remote, just go with it. Each of us is the arbiter of what is true. Indeed, this is true to an extent, but I've come to see that it is much worse than we think that it is. We live, as we always have, in an age of lies. Both Depeche Mode and Tom Waits were truth-telling when they sang, Lie to me. I would much rather be lied to than told the truth, especially as it pertains to a person's perception of me. Tell me that I look good. Tell me that you like my tie. Tell me that you think I'm doing a good job and that I'm one of the most wonderful people that you've ever met in your life. Tell me that I preached a wonderful sermon. I want to hear whatever will feed the image that I have of myself or what I want people to think of me because the truth often hurts. The truth has implications. In the world we live in, most live by the mantra, it is true because it works. But truth, real truth, especially as it pertains to faith, works because it is true. Every single one of us here this morning are trying to make our lives work. We're doing whatever it is that we need to do in order to progress in life and to move from one stage to the other. And often what happens in our life is that our lives become projections. We spend a lot of time positioning and posturing to make sure that people don't get the wrong idea about us. 
or we try really hard to have them get the wrong idea about us. Whatever it is, we don't want people to see us as we are, and this is a universal condition that we all struggle with. Uh, back in the early part, or the mid-early part of the 20th century, there was a meeting of the Rockefeller family, and they had just built Rockefeller Center, and it was towering, and it was beautiful. And at the time, a young Nelson Rockefeller was saying to his father, John Jr., you know, I think that we really ought to make the, the foyer of Rockefeller Center very wonderful and impressive and put murals up and, and gold flake and whatever it takes to, to create a real uh, impact on people uh, that were that will walk in through the doors. And John Jr. said to his son, Nelson, um, now why would we want to do that? And Nelson replied, because I just think it would be impressive. And his father said, and Nelson, who are we trying to impress? Well, that was much funnier the first time I heard it. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, even the Rockefellers struggle with projection and putting out an idea that may or may not be true about themselves. We all have issues in our lives that we try to hide those things that we struggle with. It may be as trivial as a messy house. It may be much more substantive. Our struggling career, our off-the-rails child, our nearly ruined marriage. We try to make up for these things in a hundred different ways so that people don't think that that's all there is to us. But at, that, at the same time, it's all that we think about. It's the thing that wakes us up in the middle of the night. It's the thing that we struggle with. It's the thing we work so hard to cover up. Most of us in life are trying to swim from point A to point B, but find ourselves more often than not simply treading water. Life is hard. And yet, that's what Easter is about. That God took on flesh and entered the human equation. He entered into the destructiveness and the brokenness and the difficulty of life and dwelt amongst us. Struggled with everything that we've ever struggled with. And yet was without sin. And died for us and rose Again, And because of that, you are actually free to be. You're free to be who God has made you and to not be identified with your struggles. Jesus came so that he might take that struggle onto himself and that you might lay it down. And it's the job of the church to say what the truth is. The truth about ourselves, but also the truth about God. The world says keep a stiff upper lip. Just try harder. Compartmentalize your life in such a way that you can keep these things away and that you won't be defined by them. And yet we all know too well that that is easier said than done. But that's not the final word for what the Bible tells us is that Jesus has come to take all of that upon him and to set us free. Christianity is an experiential religion. It speaks to who we are and where we are in life. And what wonderful freedom that is to know that your identity is not in the sum of your accomplishments, but that God's identity has been given to you. 
which is ultimate confidence, ultimate freedom. This week, I read an article in the New York Times about Mayor Bloomberg and what he's doing now that he's no longer mayor of New York City. And the article says, but if Bloomberg senses that he may not have as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, Bloomberg said with a grin, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, I'm not here to comment on uh, Mayor Bloomberg's eternal destiny, uh, but it was very disturbing to me because I was looking for, I mean, I count on politicians to make me look good. <laughs> and, and in one article, he tries to undo all of that. Uh, but the whole idea is that our life is a summation of all that we've done, and if we just simply accomplish whatever it is that we're setting out to accomplish, then all will be well. Well, what makes wakes up Mayor Bloomberg at 2 in the morning? I'm pretty sure it's not who's drinking a 32-ounce soda from the 7-Eleven. Whether you're Mayor Bloomberg or a Rockefeller or you're just like me, you know that life is hard and if you've ever been in a situation where you've come to rock bottom and you realize there's nothing that you can do to pull it together, that you need somebody from outside of the situation to, to come in, you don't need somebody on the sidelines saying, try harder, maybe try this, maybe do that. You need someone to come in and rescue you. You need a savior, not a life coach. You need rescue, not help. And oftentimes we see life is so hard because the reality of life, we ask questions, how could God allow my spouse to get cancer? How could God allow me to go my whole life in this career and now what? What am I supposed to do at my age? How could God call me to this place and now I feel like he's completely abandoned me? How could God do that? Where is God in the midst of all of the brokenness of life? But do you see that that is exactly why God came into the world? He sees it in its brokenness and he sees that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Jesus takes upon flesh and steps into the arena of life to do battle with death and Satan. And they say to him, if you want to tangle with us, we will bury you. And they do. For he dies upon the cross by taking all of the brokenness and struggle that we have in our lives and he takes it upon himself and there along with him it is nailed to the cross. And he lays dead in the tomb that Friday night and that Saturday. But death is not the final answer. And just when it seems like it's darkest... God raises Jesus from the dead. Death has lost its strength. The victory is Jesus, O oh death, where is thy sting? And he physically gets up out of the tomb and he lives for you and for me. 
We have the victory through him. Our identity is in him. Our life is in the risen Lord Jesus. We know that our struggle is in vain. And so we rejoice that we are able to give up our death is in him. We die in him so that we might live in him. In the culture in which we live, many of us wince when we hear Jesus' words at funerals in John 14 when he says to Thomas and the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if you know how hard life is, you rejoice to hear this verse because you praise God that there is a way. Where there seemed to be no way forward in life, God has broken into time and he has made a way. He did not leave us to our own devices, but he came and ransomed us from death. And because he is the truth, he is the light of the world, and he's given us the ability to see things as they are. And we can say, life is hard. We don't sugarcoat it. Life is not sunshine and lollipops for the Christian, but we call a thing what it is. Life is hard. And yet it's not the final word. For there is victory in Jesus Christ. This morning I know exactly where you are in life. Because I'm preaching to myself. We're all in the same boat. We struggle. We try to stay afloat and hope that it all turns out okay. But because Jesus has been raised from the dead, life is not a crapshoot. We don't just do the best that we can and hope that it all comes out well. Jesus says to those of us this morning, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In fact, that's who he has a predisposition to love, those who struggle. And he doesn't leave us to ourselves, but reaches out his strong arm, which is never too short to save, and pulls us out of the miry clay and sets our feet upon the rock. We are often reluctant to tell the truth about ourselves, much less others. But being a Christian does not leave us an option. The activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings the truth to the fore. We can't help but see our own brokenness and dependence upon the Lord. Even when we try to make our own way, it just seems to exacerbate the situation, making the truth all the more plain. But this, again, is not the whole story. What is also true is that Jesus Christ came in the world to save us. This is a culmination of the life and the ministry of Jesus God incarnate. In fact, all of history leads up to this very moment, and the face of the earth is changed. Mercy and justice have finally kissed. There is an answer to the truthful problem of the world that everyone is trying to solve on their own. Jesus rescues us from ourselves this very day. Those things that are broken down are being remade. Those things that are old are being made new. And so we set our minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Because the only rescue, the only safe haven, 
that you will find in this world from the struggle of life is in the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.